the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Joel Green, teaches how to respond to life rather than reacting to it by using a process he calls filtering, Joel says we can extract the good and essential from our daily occurrences. Joel is CEO of Pro Level Training, the national director of Nike Sports Camps, a former professional basketball player, and a motivational speaker. In addition, he's a professional sports and fitness model and actor who's been featured in commercials. Joel is the author of the book, Filtering, The Way to Extract Strength from the Struggle. Welcome, Joel. Thank you so much for joining us. Joel, thanks so much for having me on. So, Joel, looking at your bio, you're a leader in everything that you do. Were you always this person? No. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> I was not. You know, initially, I, with much of my activity, I'm a big-time observer. So when I even got into, let's say, basketball, which is, you know, a good portion of my life, you know, playing actively, I just observed. I watched, you know. I may have been on a team, but I knew I wasn't ready to be a leader just yet. And, and what I thought leadership to be. So I watched the guys who were leaders and who I looked up to be uh, in that role. And I began to mimic those guys and those girls. Because early on, I played with, you know, guys and girls in the co-ed leagues and teams and things like that. And I just began copying them, to be honest, and, you know, began doing what they did with my own twist and adding my own touch to it. And I'll be honest, I do the same thing today. If I'm getting into a new industry, any new walk of life, any new venture, I observe, I learn, and I mimic, but I add my own touch and twist to it. And I think that's such an important point to make because oftentimes I think people believe they know everything and there's nothing they have to learn mm -hmm. from anyone else. So I agree with you. Being an observer, I, I always said that's what I did growing into this mm -hmm. job. I, I was a sponge. I tried to learn everything I could from other people. Exactly. And that's, I, I enjoy that. I I'm a learner, so I, I enjoy that process of saying, wow, I'm picking up a new trade, a new skill. Uh, wow, I can't wait to apply this. So it's, it's an adventure for me every time. And, you know, uh, it's, I'm glad that I enjoy that because I, I know most do not. Most want to just jump right in and, and already know how to do, but that's not the case. So tell us a little bit about your filtering process. What is it? How did you develop it? Well, you know, filtering in itself is it's an extraction process. You know, just as if the, you know, we're filtering water or filtering air. You know, we're trying to leave behind the bad and, you know, take the good away from it and, and apply that good. And that's really what it's all about. And I came up with this filtering method while I was going through some difficulties and just needed answers. I needed to know how to get over the hurdles that I was going through and the obstacles and the challenges that I was experiencing. I just had to find a way, to be honest. And, you know, it, I developed this, this method to not just get me through what I was going through, but I challenged myself to see if I can even pull from the difficulty to actually propel me through what I was going through. I wanted to see if I can actually get gain something from it as opposed to just getting on the other side of it. So, I began leaning into my situations more, the dark moments more, to see if there was any bit of motivation, any bit of fuel, any bit of strength 
within them. And I just began seeing it, you know, from so many different angles, like I haven't before, because I would just miss my pain. I would just miss difficulty because I just wanted to be gone. But the moment I began leaning into it, I started learning from them, saying, wow, okay, there's actually food to within even these dark moments. And uh, it began filtering and breaking down that, those situations and circumstances into manageable pieces for myself that I can handle and not be, be overwhelmed with. And the moment I broke those things down, it became easy to handle. Yeah, because I think a lot of times people get stuck in the bad. You know, they, they assume this mm-hmm. identity of the worst thing that's happened to them, and they live the rest of their lives being that person, letting it define who mm-hmm. they are. Right, right. And, and that's where, you know, I mentioned learning earlier, how I enjoy learning. That's what filtering is really about. When it, if you want to get to a foundation of what it does for you, it teaches you. And the same way we, we go to a therapist, we go to a coach, and I coach and help people. Filtering in itself will help you do that for yourself in the moment while you're going through what you're going through as opposed to have to, to wait on hindsight to reveal the fruits to you of your circumstances. You can have those things revealed to you in the moment if you lean into them. You know, we go to therapy to lean into our situation, you know, so that the therapist can help reveal things for us. And, you know, filtering in itself is a great tool and method that we can use for ourselves, not to replace therapy. You know, it's great to have ventilation take place. It's great to have help. But there's nothing like having something for yourself to use while you're going through something, especially if it's just you right there. So filtering is a great tool to help you see things from a different perspective and, and hold different objective vantage points. Joe, can you give us a few tips from your book uh, about how we can learn how to do this? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mentioned pain earlier, and you know, this is one of the chapters, one of my favorite chapters. They're all, you know, a favorite of mine. But <laughs> uh, one that may be the most lengthy is uh, the purpose of our pain. And that goes into full detail of how we can learn from our pain, of how we can really address our pain as opposed to just trying to make it go away because it hurts us so much. You know, my, the way I look at it is we got to go. Once it's here, it's here. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with trying to expedite its uh, dismissal, you know, but at the same time, I feel that we should still carry a, a perspective of trying to learn from that situation of what we're going through so that the pain, the difficulties, the challenges doesn't revolve when we have an opportunity to resolve those things in the moment. So I feel like we can resolve so much just by learning. We can resolve, you know, hatred by learning about the things and people that we hate. I think greater understanding comes with greater empathy, and empathy just leads to resolution a lot of times. And um, but this is so much that I discuss in the book in regards to that, but one or two ways. Um, and I talk about adjustments a lot in the book, making adjustments, being open. You know, uh, I talk about some, some key words and terms you can give yourself when you're going through something so that you're not harping on something that just happened. I tell people to tell themselves next play. Um, it was something that I learned in sports to where I used to miss a shot or dribble the ball off my foot and get a turnover and be upset, so upset about it that I became a detriment to my team the next play because – I'm hanging my head low, and the guy that I'm supposed to be playing defense on, the next trip up the floor, he scores. All because I was still dwelling on what happened to me, being a victim in that moment. At the same time, self-sabotaging myself and my team. And so my coach, you know, he had to pull me aside a number of times saying, hey, look, you're hurting us by pouting (laughs) and dwelling on what happened. You have to move forward. You have to move forward, or else you're going to hurt the entire team. And yourself. So he said, look, what I want you to do is next time you miss a shot, next time you do something that is not ideal for yourself, that you expect to do better at, immediately tell yourself next play. And it breaks you out of that moment of disappointment and defeat. And it just takes you forward. And you look for progress immediately. And that's, you know, one way I tell people, it's a nice quick way to break yourself out of what you're going through and become more aware of, there's still more life ahead. 
Yeah, what what a great tip. As you were talking about that, I just kept thinking about that's my new thing, you know, next play, because that's what happens to us, what you just described. Something doesn't go our way or somebody says something or we just get stuck there and we ruminate over it and we tell ourselves over and over again how horrible we are and we're no good and we can't do this. And oh, boy, it just consumes us. And so, like you're saying, it sounds simple, but I, I love it. Next play. Next play. I, I, I yeah. tell myself that often. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, life, life happens, you know, and unexpected people happen, you know, and unexpected reactions to your actions happen. And if, if it's not ideal, you have to just try to find a way to keep yourself moving forward, not being stuck in that, that unideal moment. And, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's nice on the other side. It may not always be easy, but it's so worth it. When I look at everything that you've taken on in life, uh, professional basketball, acting, modeling, these are all highly competitive fields. And these are all areas that, you know, your motivation can very easily be broken. How do you maintain that motivation besides the, the strategy that you just shared with us? How do you keep forging forward when you're in such a highly competitive arena? I'm, a, I'm my main competition. And that's, you know, and I say that with all humility, no arrogance, no conceit whatsoever, but I put my focus on me in environments like that because I, again, I love growth. I love learning. I love improvement and only I can grow truly, you know, even if I'm a part of a team, I can help the team grow, but my contribution comes by way of my I dare say selfish growth, my individual growth. That's how I'll then contribute my portion to the team. You know, and that's really what it comes down to when it comes to my improvement, when it comes to my success in a certain, at a certain venture, I challenge myself to be my own, my only competition. How well can I do? Not compared to how well they do or how well someone else does. My end result is based off of how well I challenge myself to do and what can I get out of myself? And that's really what I do with everything. I just, I step into it and it helps me to worry less about the end result. Cause I don't like worrying, you know, at all. Yeah. And so I just, I shift my focus to now because when we worry, we're, we're in the future. We're not in the present. We're, you know, we're thinking about outcomes and results and objectives complete. I'm not concerned with that. That's my, end result is going to simply be a byproduct of how great I do in the moment. And that's where I place myself. And that just allows me to, to compete with myself and enjoy it that much more. Joel, is that the way a lot of athletes are trained to just compete with yourself? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's one thing to where, you know, I've spoken to a number of sports psychologists over the years, friends with some now, and that's the ultimate way to become your personal best. It cannot be, you know, comparative. You can be aware of competition. You can be aware of comparisons as far as your numbers versus the best numbers, things like that. There's nothing wrong with being aware of that. That cannot be your primary motiv motivator or driving force. Ultimately, all you can do is all you can do, right? And that's what people have to realize. It's not about you doing more than this or more than that all you can ultimately achieve and pull off is all that you can personally achieve and pull off seek that out and that's my objective all the time i'm trying to seek that out and i know if anyone seeks that out they will in turn find greatness well that's such a great lesson that can be applied to any area of a person's life because you know you hear people that maybe they're looking on social media or they're comparing themselves to their friends, like let's say a, a parent who's saying, well, their kids have this or this person has that or their house is bigger or they have a better car, they have a better job. All we do is compare ourselves to other people. Right. And that's why we're never happy. And, and then you get the bigger car right. and you're still not happy and you get the better house mm -hmm. and you're still not happy. So it does come from within. It comes from within. And again, it's what we ultimately want. I, I truly believe is that we don't want things. We want feelings. You know, it's not that we want all this stuff. We want the feelings that that stuff brings. And, you know, I began to realize that over the years, like, you know, 
do I enjoy things and stuff like the next person? Absolutely, I do. You know, things, you know, some things bring joy to me and my household. But at the same time, I enjoy feeling great. I enjoy feeling fulfilled. That's my main objective. I want to be fulfilled every day. It's not happiness. I don't pursue happiness. You know, I pursue fulfillment each and every day, things that can just keep me going and saying, wow, day was fun. You know, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I can look forward to tomorrow. Like, and that's just, like you said, so many people are just, you know, comparing and just getting this and realizing, oh, it wasn't that that was that was going to do it. So they look for the next thing and you're like, oh, it's not that. You just gotta gotta seek out like the feelings, like yeah. and just find ways to help yourself feel good. We're trying to fill this hole within ourselves. And, and you know, Joe, when I started this work more than 12 years ago, it was because I went through a lot of loss and, and personal mm-hmm. challenges in my own life. And I created the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brand because the one thing I did know, I didn't know a whole lot back then, but the one thing I did know was that I had to get my head in the game, so to speak, if I was going to move forward. I had to learn how to embrace these changes, look for the blessings, as you said, you know, stop looking at my struggles as negatives. And that's really how I've been able to do the work that I'm doing and create the life that I have. And, and that's what you're telling everyone through your work and your book and by example. And I think if we learn how to do that one thing, to, to start to look at our challenges and our struggles as not necessarily these negative things happening to us, I think that's the place where the transformation begins. Do you agree with that? I completely agree with that. Uh, completely agree. I mean, they, so many of these things are happening for us and not to us. And we right. just don't realize it because our perspective is off. And, you know, emotionally, we get so caught up on the surface of what we're going through, not realizing what lies beneath. And that's truly what I began discovering. The more I leaned into my problems, my difficulties, my challenges, the more, as you just said, embrace the challenges, I began to actually see what they were, they truly were about. I began to see, okay, maybe this is why it came, as opposed to just being so irate about the fact that it's here. Right. And that's, you know, it was a discovery. I just said, okay, I really just have to not be afraid. It's a daring thing to do. You know, it, it, it's a painful thing to do sometimes, to have to, Go toward what's, what's hurting you, what's challenging you. But so many times, it's kind of like facing a bully. The more we run from a bully, the more it, it chases us. Right. You know, it's not until we stand up to it, until it, then, then it begins to stop. I'm not right. saying it stops right away, but sooner or later, that bullying stops. Yeah, and I think it's important you know, as you were saying that things don't happen to us. And and we're not saying that we want these bad things to happen, but they're happening. And so here you are, and what are you going to do with it? Exactly. And I forget the the scripture in the Bible, but um, it talks about, you know, our troubles. Um, It says, work is for us, far exceeding glory. I I forget the exact, exact scripture, but that's exactly how I look at our troubles. It, it works, works for us. They're an assistant, you know, in helping us to grow and to get better and realizing that we aren't here. And this is a recent revelation I've even had thinking this about life. I, I sit down, I have think time, <laughs> you know, so I allow myself just to sit back and think for five to 10 minutes and just whatever crossed my mind, I entertain it. And I have a pencil and a piece of paper sometimes, or I'll just put something on my phone. And I was just thinking, just, you know, I don't feel like we were put here to make all the bad stuff good, you know? Um, I really feel like the bad stuff was put here to make us better. Um, I feel like we need to embrace these things a little bit more so that we can grow as a result of them, as opposed to just always even trying to improve them. I think we need to just say, you know what? They are here. This is life. Let's get better as a result of them. Right, because you wouldn't be the person you are today had you not gone through those challenges, and I wouldn't be the person I am today. And so it really gives us the opportunity to grow and to turn into a better version of ourselves. Exactly, exactly. The book is Filtering the Way to Extract Strength from Struggle. Joe, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? 
Uh, you can visit my website, joelbgreen.com, and um, I'm also on Instagram pretty heavy, and uh, I discuss a lot <laughs> with people there, you know, by way of messages and, you know, little chats and, and things of that sort. I'm, I'm big on the engagement side, and um, especially of late with people picking up the book on Amazon and reaching out to me saying, hey, I love this portion of it, I love that portion, and I just, I love the discussion aspect. Joel, in our final moments, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Honestly, exactly what I, I, I just mentioned. I, I'll build off of that. Um, you know, just realize that it's not with, with the problems that you may face, that the problems that may be present surrounding you, it's not always about dismissing the problems. It's not always about removing the problems. It's not always about making those bad things good or making those wrongs right. So many times, those things are present to help improve us, but we, we, we've got to carry a different perspective. We have to step outside of ourselves in the situation for a moment and say, you know what? What can I actually learn from this? How can I grow through this process instead of just having this suffering and go through this thing? Try to take a different perspective the next time you're going through anything that's problematic and see if you can learn from it. I promise you, you will. And remember to say, next play. Joel, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a wonderful conversation, and I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Joel, thank you so much. It's been a joy. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Dr. Christopher Collar, Chair of Surgery at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Collar. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Joan. Thank you for having me. So, Doctor, breast cancer is the most common cancer in women in the United States. What do you believe are the biggest risk factors for breast cancer? Well, uh, you know, for as far as women are concerned, the biggest risk is having a family member because it does have a familial uh, run to it. And so it's not uncommon for people who have an aunt or a mother or a sister who have had breast cancer to also be at risk for uh, developing breast cancer. Um, and then there's also some factors that are included that, uh, you know, drinking alcohol, uh, late childbirth and things like that that also contribute to the risk. So if someone has a family member that had breast cancer, what should that person be doing to, to be diligent with his or her health care? Yes. The, the most important thing, I think, for all women, but particularly those who have a family history, is um, going for mammographies at an earlier age, like probably starting somewhere around 40, and being very diligent about getting their annual mammographies. When a person finds a lump or is told that breast cancer is suspected, what is the usual process from that point? What tests or procedures may be done? Okay, initially, if somebody feels a lump in their breast, uh, the first thing that they would do is have a mammography and most likely an ultrasound to see if that can be defined in any way as far as its shape and characteristics. And then they would most likely then go for what we call an FNA or a fine needle aspiration to get some tissue out of that lump to determine what it may be. If the test shows cancer, you know, when, when someone hears those words, you have cancer, it's frightening, it, and you get very confused, and you don't really know what you should be doing next. So what advice do you offer to help someone start to navigate this process? Okay, well, the first thing, once they've been given the diagnosis of cancer, uh, then treatment options need to be considered. And there are a number of factors that go into that, the size of the primary tumor, the patient's age, uh, patient preference as far as what kind of surgical procedure that they may want to go for. Um, clearly, any cure for breast cancer has to be first based off of a surgical excision of that area. And that can either be done through a local excision of the lump 
or through a mastectomy, depending on what the patient may want to do. Would this be the time when the type of breast cancer would be determined? And and how important is it to know the hormone receptor status? Yes, it's actually very important because that goes a long way in determining what kind of them um, chemotherapeutic agents uh, and uh, responses um, will be made depending on the hormone receptors. Uh, So that's something that then goes to the next stage following the excision of the lesion because, again, surgery is the first thing regardless of whether these are hormone-positive or hormone-negative lesions. Uh, But then determination for types of chemotherapy are then determined after that. And when would surgery be recommended as treatment? Well, surgery is always going to be recommended um, because that is the only potential way for curing this. Uh, there are, you know, other modalities like radiation and chemotherapy which will help, but surgery would be the first thing that somebody should jump to towards uh, getting a cure for their disease. What type of surgical procedures are there, and are they always very invasive? No, they don't have to be. If you have an early breast cancer let's say it's a one centimeter in size, um, you can have what we call breast conservation surgery where we do not need to remove the entire breast. We can just basically do a wide excision of that area and uh, take that lump out. And then they would also need to have some lymph node sampling just to make sure that there is no signs of spread to the local lymph nodes. Um, But that can all be done through relatively small incisions. Uh, so that the end result would look the same as if almost there's nothing been done. Can you talk to us about reconstructive surgery? What is this, and who would best benefit from it? Yes, and again, a lot of these types of things boil down to patient preference. Uh, You know, and again, I think it depends on who the patient is and what their thought process is. I've seen plenty of patients who say, look, all I want to know is just take this off of me and I don't really care about reconstruction. That might be, let's say, an older patient who is not as concerned about their appearance, uh, whereas the younger people would be much more uh, likely to want to have breast reconstruction. And those things can be done either at the time of the initial uh, um, cancer surgery, or they could be done down the road. And there are a number of different options uh, that include anything from as simple as tissue expanders or implants uh, down to uh, reconstructive surgery where we're actually taking muscle from the abdominal wall uh, to create soft tissue reconstruction of that area. There are a number of different options that the patient can have. Doctor, as I mentioned earlier, when someone gets a cancer diagnosis, it's very frightening, and we really don't know what to do when that happens. What type of progress have you seen over the years? You know, we we tend to think it's a death sentence. Is it a death sentence still? And what are you seeing in the treatment and the survival rates? Right. Well, and and that's a very, very good point, because I know once people hear that word cancer, they do become very, very frightened. And it's naturally uh, the way most people would react, because there is this assumption that, you know, cancer is a killer, and that's going to be the the thing that ultimately... um, you know, does them in. But uh, with breast cancer, most particularly, uh, you know, early detection has become the key to, uh, you know, what we've tried to to do in order to give people greater longevity. So as long as women are being very diligent about their mammographies and self-examination, most of the time these breast cancers are detected at a very early stage and survival is, uh, is improved when you do catch these lesions early. We still have problems in the United States today in as far as access to care um, and patients' um, knowledge of what they need to do. So we still do see a relatively high number of women dying from breast cancer in the United States, but the numbers relatively to the number of people has been going down. And so in addition to being diligent with our screenings and staying on top of our health care, what type of lifestyle changes do you recommend we make in order to really mitigate the, the risks of this? And that's something that we've been learning through the years. You know, sometimes people just think that these things just sort of happen to them. But there are a whole host of things that people can do in order to try to diminish their risk of developing breast cancer. And, you know, most of them boil down to the same. It's not just for breast cancer, but it's for all types of uh, 
cancers and overall health. In trying to keep your weight down into a normal range, we've seen that obesity certainly increases the risk of development of breast cancer. To decrease the amount of alcohol consumption uh, that that people do also will diminish the risks of breast cancer. Uh, eating healthy foods and exercising uh, go towards uh, certain types of foods can be very beneficial as far as uh, diminishing risk. Um, those would include things like citrus fruits and berries, um, fatty fishes, garlic, um, certain spices, beans. All of these things contribute to diminishing a patient's risk of developing breast cancer. Dr. Collar, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Newbridge, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. Once again, doctor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joan, for having me. I really appreciate it. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. You can't avoid the intense grief and pain following the death of someone you love, but you can find ways to cope with the loss. Today's guest, spiritual medium Daniel John, guides people through the grief that often results from the passing of a loved one. Daniel teaches that once you acknowledge that eternal life exists, it can help the grieving process. Daniel is the author of the new book, Journey Through Many Mansions, Navigating Grief and Understanding Mediumship. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joan. Daniel, you've been doing this work for a while now, and you've come to believe that mediumship can help people that are grieving the loss of a loved one. How can working with a medium help? So just from doing this for, I've been doing it for about four, four and a half years. <clears throat> when you meet with, you know, a medium, a medium is just someone who is able to connect the human world to the spirit world. Um, information comes through that's super helpful, um, that increases faith, and it lets people know that their loved ones aren't really dead. They're just alive. They're just in a different reality. So that understanding can bring a lot of peace and healing. And then the ultimate goal with my clients especially is to let them know that you don't need someone who says they're a medium, that you can connect to your loved ones on your own. It's just getting used to the way that they communicate. So by meeting with a medium, you can get used to some of the subtle impressions that spirit can give to us, even without someone who's, who's a medium. Is this something that we should fear? So fear being a word, you know, it's, it's, there is healthy fear. But what I will say is that what I teach and what I talk about through my mediumships in my book is to do something that I call raise your vibration. What that does is it protects you. Um, you can do that via prayer, via meditation. You can do it um, by doing nice things for others and have compassion and, not, and for others and not for and forgiving other people. So by doing that type of self-work, um, you know, for me, I had to quit gambling and quit drinking alcohol. What that does is it raises your vibration so that you can connect to spirit on a, on a high level. If you are not at a high vibration, you're not consciously doing those things, I think it can be dangerous um, working with energy if you're not at the right vibration. So um, there is nothing to fear if you do it the right way, but, but communicating with the spirit world in the right way, with love, with good intention is, is super important. And in that case, there, there is absolutely no fear because there is no fear in love. When you work with a person, do you always receive a message or, or is there something that we can do to coax our loved one to come through during one of your sessions? When I do have sessions, 99.9% .9 of the time, information comes through. There's only been twice in four and a half years where nothing came through. And, you know, I refunded them and it just wasn't the right time. There was some special circumstances. But, yeah, there's always uh, information. And the quality of the session ranges. Uh, depends on many circumstances and many factors like my energy, the, the client's energy, the cosmos, like a whole bunch of factors. But um, going into a session, I explained this in my second book, the, the only thing that we can do is just open our heart and mind. And that will really allow for the best session and the best and most important information to come through for the client. You talk a lot about love. What have you learned about the afterlife from doing this type of work? So I believe that the word love and the best way we can describe it is, is really the only thing that exists. We come from love. We are love. First John 4, 8 says, God is love. So I believe that love is the best word to describe who we are as souls. And from my research on near-death experiences and being able to communicate with the spirit world for years, I feel that this earth 
is, is a test. It's a, a school. And our main and number one goal as a society, as a human being, is to love. And that includes, you know, things I mentioned earlier, forgiveness, equality, non-judgment. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm a big Jesus fan, religion aside, and I think he taught us all to how to love unconditionally and that there's such thing as equality. So I've realized that life is more than the human body. We are souls living a human experience, and there's so much more. And there's a perfect plan to it all, even though it doesn't make sense to us. So, uh, and also, too, the other thing I've discovered and I firmly believe is that we judge ourselves. When we leave our body and we return home to spirit, our biggest judge is actually our own soul. Um, and so anytime I make a decision or do something in this world, I know that when my life ends, um, I'm going to watch myself and see how well I did at choosing love over fear. Uh, and so I do that every day to try to serve the world with as much love as I can. And what a beautiful message that is, Daniel, because like you said, we come from love. We're here to love. And yet we get so caught up in the world that we forget about that. And we're stressed out and we're angry and we're, you know, fighting with other people. And, and really, it's just to get back to that core of love is, is so key to living a happy life. Yeah, you know, Jesus calls it, you know, Christ, we'll call it that. But when you find that love or that Christ or that part of you that's connected to that whole of love, you realize that um, life is so much bigger and that every single living thing in this world is a brother or sister, a, a, a blade of grass, a human being, an animal, a tree. We're all energy. We're all connected. And so that's why it's important to treat other things the way you want to be treated. And I love the way you approach your work, because when you hear the word mediumship, people have a, a very specific frame of reference to that word. But I like the way you're approaching it about love and, and bringing us closer to God. Yeah, and it, and it truly does. And unfortunately, that word has, has a misconnotation. I, I cover this in my second book as well in a couple of different areas and go through the definitions of medium and psychic. And people get so scared at that word, uh, you know, and this makes some certain people cringe. But, you know, Jesus, Paul, Moses, they were mediums. A medium is just a halfway between two extremes. It's a, a, mess, a way of communicating information from another area. So by definition, Paul and Jesus and a lot of our, a lot of spiritual leaders um, are technically called mediums. I think the more we open our heart and mind to what people that have these gifts, you know, and their gifts of the Spirit that Paul mentions in First, First Corinthians chapter 12 about gifts of the Spirit and gifts of discernment and gifts of prophecy, if they're used properly— they are gifts. They come from somewhere divine that a lot of us call God. And it's just a misinterpretation of words. Uh, and there I have a lot of people who are Christian who really believe and support the work uh, that mediums do because they realize that the mediumship world is not so different from the uh, divine world. And, and my role, I feel like, in this incarnation is to kind of bridge the gap between spirituality and, and religion, and recognize that there's just one beautiful source that we're all connected to, and it's in each of us, and I help uh, as much as I can to help each of us find that within ourselves. We've talked about so many wonderful points that you write about in your book, but what is the one of the main takeaways from your book that you want us to know? That our loved ones are not gone, that we live forever, life is eternal, and we are all connected to this thing we call God or love. And even though your loved ones have left, has left your reality, they're still alive. They're involved in your everyday decisions, and they're available to us all the time. We just need to raise our vibration and connect to the true part of ourselves so that we're more open to the communication of our loved ones. And you often talk about making sure you go to you know, the, the right type of medium. How can someone discern if the person they're working with is legitimate? It's a great question. I always tell people, go with your heart, follow your heart. Uh, go with the feelings that you have, pray about it. You know, pray doesn't have to do with any specific religion, but reaching out to the universe or to God and the source and asking for guidance to bring you to the right person. Um, I always, in my book, I do cover this about reaching out to a medium and kind of doing some things, some research. But the, the simple answer is to follow your, your heart or your gut or the feeling you get. You know, maybe you pray about it and you see a specific medium or someone who keeps coming up on your page and you have a really good feeling about it. Trust it. I think trust is one of the biggest importance. So ask for guidance, 
and then trust it because the universe or God will not steer you wrong when you lean on it to guide you. The book is Journey Through Many Mansions, Navigating Grief and Understanding Mediumship. If you'd like to learn more about Daniel and his work, you can visit danieljohnmedium.com. Daniel, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? So I wrote this book with inspired to help other people who have gone through the loss of a loved one to help them recognize that we don't die and that our loved ones are very much part of our lives and we can communicate to them in a safe, effective way so that we know that they're still with us. And I go through that in the book. We try to help them understand that communicating with them, with your loved ones in spirit, is not a bad or evil thing. It's natural. It's part of who we are. And there's a lot of support from the spirit world, whether it be from your loved ones or from God or spirit or Jesus. Um, In my opinion, it's all the same thing, and it's simply love. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What is perseverance? Why is it important and how does a person cultivate it? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a musician, sound practitioner, and the creator of The Sound Life, an app for relaxation and meditation through sound and music. We talk a lot about challenges and solutions, but not about the process of moving through challenging circumstances. Perseverance is the ability to keep going when you feel like giving up. How a person responds to challenges becomes the content of their character. So cultivating perseverance, like any skill, is critical to success. But how does a person foster the ability to persist through trials and tribulations? You have to develop a reservoir of inner strength. Meditation is the best practice to strengthen one's convictions. And sound meditation is the easiest way to establish a daily meditation practice. I know because I am a practitioner, facilitator, and sound meditation teacher. Through the years, I have observed that people who learn to tune out external stimulation and focus their minds have an easier time identifying and applying solutions to the obstacles in their path. I'm Allison Ayati, and I wish you success in all your endeavors. To learn more about sound meditation, go to livingthesoundlife.com. Sound meditation is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. Put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done, and you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a board-certified professional and executive coach, speaker, workshop leader, and reinvention expert. She's the founder of Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Linda is here today to discuss why visualization is key to goal achievement. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me back, Joan. Linda, anyone who has set goals for him or herself can tell you how difficult it is to work or achieve those goals. And often many people fall short of achieving their goals. Why do you believe this is the case? I think that part of it is that we we do part of what we're supposed to do, but we miss a critical part. I think, you know, we have to get very clear on what we want. Yes, and that's great. We have to know the details, and that's great. We have to write them down. I think, don't quote me, but I think the statistics is something like 80% of the people who write their goals down actually achieve them. And all of that is a really, really good start. But if you want to make the process happen more quickly and with much more ease, I believe it is imperative that you use your imagination, your subconscious brain, to envision your goal or desire actually coming into your present reality. That is so key. And I think that's also what trips us up, right, to the point that, I I see a lot of people giving up before they actually get the process moving because people think, oh, that's such a waste of time. I'm not going to sit there and, you know, use my imagination. But your imagination is key. And we can begin to actually see the results when you begin to do it. 
Linda, what does that look like when when you use your imagination or you visualize? How detailed do you have to be and, and what is the process of doing this? That is such a good question. Thank you. You have to actually get crystal clear. Use your imagination to actually envision what you want. I would say use every single one of your senses. Get into that situation and who's there? See the people what do you feel? Are you sitting behind a new mahogany desk or are you in this new neighborhood? See what you see, feel what you feel, use your senses. What do you smell? What do you hear? Use all of those senses and get very, very specific. And here's the key, visualize, that, visualize it as though it's happening right now, not sometime in the future, because that keeps you in a state of wanting, right? But see it now. Another part of this that's really, really important is that you need to know our brains can't tell the difference between a real experience and an imagined one. So using your imagination to help bring about what you want in your reality is so, so important. Just get clear on your why and start using it with emotion. Emotion is what's key. And Linda, is that because, you know, a you had just said about using our subconscious mind and that the subconscious can't tell the difference between what is imagined and, and what is real. I know when we're little girls and we become the princess, if you ever see a little girl who is right. pretending to be a princess, she's not pretending to be Mary as the princess. She becomes the princess. She walks and yeah. she talks and she embodies this role. So when we do that in our life, when we are now being the person we're setting a goal to be, do we show up differently? Is that why we have more success? Yes. And you, you do show up differently. You begin to, I love the word you use, you begin to embody that person, that new, new person or that new goal. And where does that all come from? The emotion, right? We want to feel a certain way. I mean, that's the basis of all buying decisions too. It's the emotion behind it. So when you want to create something new, you want to be in that new place. And that visualization helps you bring about in your physical reality, whatever you're visioning in your mind's eye. So if you want to get a promotion, if that's a goal to be the manager of your department, you need to start acting like the manager of the department before you even get the job. Correct. Yes. You act as though that wish is already fulfilled. I think Wayne Dyer has a whole program on that, right, called Wishes Fulfilled. And you become who you want to be right then and there. But do it in your imagination. Visualize it because I think your visualization, your, your practice in your imagination is sort of like, you know, you have a sea of overgrown weeds and brush and you take a sickle to that and you make a pathway. Your imagination, your visioning, creates the pathway for that to happen in your reality. That's what visioning does for you. Yeah, and I think this is such an important conversation, Linda, because so many of us always visualize the bad things that will happen. We spend so much right. time imagining the worst case scenario when we should be shifting it to see the goals and the benefits that we can achieve. Exactly. Yes. And that's just the way our human brain is made, right? We always defer to the worst case scenario or we let our imagination run down the rabbit hole of, oh my goodness, what if, right? But what if what you are thinking about and focusing on is what you want to bring about? That is creating that pathway to make it happen in your reality. So focus on what you want to bring about. Play with it in your mind's eye and you will actually see it come to fruition so much more easily and so much more quickly. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit lindamitchellcoachingandhealing.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. Do you allow fear to stop you dead in your tracks whenever you think about trying something new? Does that voice in your head conjure up a list of reasons to be inactive while you shouldn't try to accomplish a goal? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. It's time to face your fears and step out of your comfort zone. For most of my life, I was that person, too afraid to take a chance, self-sabotaging myself at every turn. I had a reason for every roadblock that I built. I allowed fear to govern my life. It took a major life upheaval and a lot of soul searching to get me to change my ways. And when I did, I realized that I hadn't really lived. I played it safe and simply survived. 
Over the course of the past decade, I have had the opportunity to interview people that have inspired and challenged me to step outside of the comfort zone I called life. I met warriors who have overcome tremendous challenges and displayed courage that most can only imagine. They changed my way of thinking. Some of these people were born without arms and legs or feet or hands. Others have lost their vision or the ability to walk, and others have survived horrific trauma and now live their life in service to others. Every one of these people had every right to live in fear as they faced unfathomable challenges, but they all chose to confront their limitations and achieve what many would consider to be impossible. They understood that fear is nothing more than a mindset, a perception, false evidence appearing real. They taught me that each time we face our fears, we gain strength, courage, and confidence in the doing. So the next time you're faced with an overwhelming challenge, an opportunity to try something new, or the chance to step out of your comfort zone, how do you push fear aside and take action? First, evaluate the driving force behind your fear. Is it a real consideration or something that you've created in your mind? Then make a list of your concerns and attack them one by one. Ask yourself, what is the worst thing that can happen? And by the way, it usually doesn't. Then develop a plan of action. What is your goal and how will you achieve it? Empower yourself with knowledge. And finally, muster up the courage to take a chance. The best plans are meaningless without action. As the explorer Christopher Columbus said, you can never cross the ocean until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Remember, it isn't the end result that matters. It's the journey. And you just may enjoy the ride. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiring tips, visit joanherman.com. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.